This episode of The Lutheran Cartographer is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook with your trial of their service at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 33. Welcome to The Lutheran Cartographer, the podcast where we explore what it's like to be Lutheran in different places. I'm your host, Nicholas Weber. Today we are going to Lincoln, Nebraska to talk to Pastor Clint Poppy of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Pastor Poppy, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Nicholas. It's great to be here. We, uh, we hear your program often on our church radio station, and it's quite an honor. Fantastic. So help orient us geographically. Where exactly are we in Nebraska? Uh, Nebraska is uh, a long and narrow state with a panhandle, and we are on the southeast part, uh, not the extreme southeast, but the southeast part of the state. My, my hometown is about 100 miles north of here in northeast Nebraska, and it's interesting that about 80% of the population of Nebraska lives in the eastern third of the state. And so we're uh, we're packed in here fairly tight for Nebraska standards. And the farther west you go, the more cattle and more sand hills and less people you come across. Good deal. All right. So now let's talk about what your background is and how you came there. Uh, born and raised in Nebraska, and it's uh, it's interesting. When I was at the seminary, and you do your interviews and things like that. People from Nebraska love Nebraska, talk about Nebraska all the time, always find someone that has some Nebraska connection or Nebraska ties. And as soon as they find out you're from Nebraska, they they realize, okay, here's somebody we can send back there. They're always looking for that. But uh, born and raised in Nebraska, um, northeast Nebraska, little town called West Point, about 3,000 people, the county seat of Cumming County was a, um, uh, you know, went went to high school in West Point, married my high school sweetheart, went to college just across the border in Vermilion, South Dakota, came back to West Point, got married, started a family, worked uh, three or four different jobs. And through that whole time, I just had the the bug, the tug, uh, since I was a little kid to be a pastor. And finally worked up enough nerve to tell my wife and we already had three small children that I wanted to go to the seminary. So went to uh, St. Louis as a second career student. My, uh, my hope was to become a pastor and come back to Nebraska and the good Lord was very, very good. And so in April of 1997, I was placed here at Good Shepherd and I've been here ever since working on year number 24. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. So when you were off at seminary, what would there be any contrast that you would draw between your, your time there and, and Nebraska? Any differences that you saw that you thought, oh, this kind of helps me understand Nebraska better? Uh, well, it helped me appreciate Nebraska more. Uh, when we got to St. Louis, our... Uh, our boys were eighth grade, seventh grade, fourth grade. 
And so it was uh, quite a culture shock moving from a town of 3,000 people to a town of uh, three or four million. Our kids, when I was there for summer Hebrew, our kids never left our apartment because they were afraid uh, to be out in the big city. And in the uh, three years that we were there, a total transformation took place in the boys because they didn't want to go back to Nebraska. They didn't want to go to a little bitty town like Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln at that time only had one mall and they couldn't uh, couldn't see themselves lowering themselves to move to such a uh, tiny little town. When we got to St. Louis, uh, I did not know what a what an ATM card was. We, uh, we couldn't buy groceries because nobody would take an out-of-state check. Uh, in Nebraska, back in those days, you just grabbed a blank check from the counter, a counter check. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, everybody trusted everybody. It was, uh, it was quite a major, major culture shock going to St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis was a wonderful place, became home, but it was uh, really an eye-opening experience. Life in the big city and really helped us appreciate the down-home friendliness, the, uh, the, the personal nature of life in Nebraska. That makes sense. So let's say somebody is thinking about moving to, to Lincoln. What would you say, ah, these are some of the best things about the area? You know, uh, people that have a small-town experience – if they would come to Lincoln, they would realize that Lincoln is a small town that just grew up. And it has a lot of the small town feel, even though it is, uh, you know, counting the suburbs, probably a quarter million people. But it has a small town feel to it. You can tell that by the uh, narrow streets and lack of uh expressways or boulevards or anything like that. It's really slow to get across town, but it's a small town feel because almost everybody in Lincoln came from a small town in Nebraska and they brought that small town feel, that small town attitude, that small town friendliness with them. But being a town of over 200,000 people, it has lots of stuff in it. It has a, uh, uh, a symphony. It has the university. It has a zoo. It has a science center. It has walking trails. So it benefits, many benefits that you would find in a larger city, but in a place that has a small town atmosphere and a small town feel. That makes sense. So it has that warmth with all of those amenities of a much larger place, as you just said. Absolutely. You can go to the grocery store. And you can look somebody in the eye with, uh, out getting daggers stared back at you. You can start up a conversation with a stranger and not get reported to the police. Uh, I, when we lived in St. Louis, uh, nobody would look you in the eye. Nobody would talk to you. Everybody seemed that they were assuming the worst. And if you were overly friendly, they, they assumed you were some uh, predator of some kind. Um, here in Lincoln, you still have, for the most part, not universally, but for the most part, you still have that small town feel. Excellent. What would you say on the flip side are some of the challenges about being in Lincoln? Well, Lincoln is different from the rest of the state. Um, 
first of all, you've got all the one-way streets that uh, just when you finally figure out where you want to go, you can't quite get there unless you uh, circle in for a landing. Lincoln is a university town. Uh, Lincoln is the seat of government. And so you have a lot of people that have come to Lincoln that maybe don't have those uh, small-town attitudes, those small-town morals, those small-town values that are pretty prevalent in the rest of the state. And so uh, there is a large and growing, um, more liberal component in Lincoln. This, uh, this past summer, when there were riots going all over the country, we had riots and looting and vandalism in downtown Lincoln. Um, we had... Uh, people marching way out here in the uh, south part of town where Good Shepherd is, uh, demanding reparations. They were very, very small in comparison to the rest of the country. But we do have a, uh, a segment that is very connected politically and uh, more toward the liberal end. We also have a uh, large LBGTQ plus community in Lincoln, and uh, that presents its challenges for a uh, confessional Lutheran pastor as well. That makes sense. So it's—would you say that there are parts of Lincoln then that are looking to become more um, politically fashionable and more rabidly progressive? Is that maybe one way to think of it? I, I think that would be a very fair statement, and uh, that has, you know, in the 24 years that I've been here, that has increased substantially. And, you know, the, uh, uh, the state of Nebraska politically is a uh, solidly red state, if you follow the red-blue stuff, but uh, there is a uh, large and growing uh, blue component here in Lincoln, as as in Omaha as well. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the the things that surprised me. I I suppose it shouldn't have when I was traveling through was just the um, the prevalence of the um, well, especially in Omaha, how they there were uh, Black Lives Matter signs everywhere, and uh, obviously very um, very uh, sort of progressive attitudes there. Yeah, my uh, my younger. Uh, sister is a retired police officer in Omaha, and uh, uh, I could, uh, as is her husband, and I could tell you lots and lots of stories about the uh, the racial tension in Omaha. It is it is nothing like that here in Lincoln. Uh, th- there is some of that, but there is nothing like that here in Lincoln compared to Omaha. It is a night and day difference. All right. Well, let's continue to focus on Lincoln then. And for the next question, let's go to the namesake of the podcast, the idea of what it's like to be Lutheran in the place. What, what is it like being Lutheran in Lincoln? Are there a lot of Lutherans around? Do people know what, it's, what a Lutheran is? Tell us about what it's like to be Lutheran there. Well, in the northeast part of the state, the southeast part of the state where, where most of the people are, there is a large Lutheran demographic. And so uh, people are familiar, uh, at least with the name Lutheran, 
And in the in the city of Lincoln itself, I believe we have nine Missouri Synod congregations plus the university chapel. And if you uh, draw that line within all oh, five to seven miles outside the city of Lincoln, that almost doubles. I think we have 16 congregations. So we've got lots of Lutherans, Missouri Synod Lutherans in Lincoln. In addition to that, we have uh, a couple of large Wisconsin Synod congregations in Lincoln. Uh, parochial school system is uh, large in Lincoln as well. We have a uh, junior, senior high school, and there is a large ELCA community as well. And so I would just guess uh, off the top of my head that roughly 40% of Lincoln and the surrounding communities is uh, connected in some way, shape, or form to some form of Lutheranism or another. So to be Lutheran is not uncommon. To be a confessional Lutheran congregation to be a congregation that uh, follows the historical liturgy, to be a congregation that is um, uh, convicted and convinced of the truth of the scriptures and the Lutheran confessions and to preach that loudly, that's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. And so uh, while we are in a sea of Lutheranism here in Lincoln, and I think most people would say that Lincoln is predominantly Roman Catholic, but we have lots of Lutherans to to be a voice for confessional Lutheranism. Uh, sometimes, like uh, uh, Dr. Sasa would say, uh, it feels like a very lonely way. Yeah, it was a great pleasure and a joy to visit your congregation a few weeks ago. Very warm people, as you mentioned, um, very liturgical. It was a, a great place to be. And it's kind of amazing. When I got here uh, 23 and a half years ago, uh, we had a praise band. We uh, did not use the hymnal. It was 100% uh, contemporary worship. We, it was a, a, a small congregation. We probably had 20 to 30 people a week in worship. Um, we worshiped in a little multi-purpose room. And the, uh, the changes that have happened at Good Shepherd to uh, very slowly, very surely, very deliberately become a more confessional, orthodox, Lutheran congregation have been, uh, have been staggering, especially for the folks that have been here the whole time. That sounds like a really interesting story. Do you mind taking a few minutes and, and telling us a bit about what that path was like and how you and the congregation navigated that, that pathway from kind of the, the typical American evangelical worship to a more robust, historic, confessional Lutheran service? I'm, I'm happy to share with you if uh, you think anybody would be interested about it. I would be interested. <laughs> Well, when, when I came here, I was placed at Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd was a, a tiny little congregation that had been uh, formed by the, you know, the workings of two or three congregations in the Nebraska District Mission Development. They, uh, they planted this congregation in South Lincoln, and it began to grow. Um, the congregation started in 1977, and I came in uh, 19... 
seven. So it was just about ready to celebrate its 20th anniversary when I got here. The congregation in the five previous years before I came went from a congregation of nearly 400 baptized souls to about 150. There had been a serious church split. They were fighting over money, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so when I came, it was just hanging on. The district president at the time said, uh, I, I hope the congregation will not fold, but if it does, I'll find you another place. That was the situation when I came. Wow. And the, uh, the congregation had been vacant for over four years. The vacancy pastor was a, was a kind elderly gentleman that was trying everything he possibly could to keep the congregation afloat. Um, contemporary worship, praise bands, small group ministries— I asked him one time, I said, when you only have 15 people at church on Sunday, why would you want to break those into small groups? And he says, well, that's what the big churches do to grow. Hmm. Um, very, very little comprehension for uh, the reality that we were in. And so when I came, I just decided that I would uh, make personal visitation a priority. I visited everybody that would let me in the door. I invited them to come to church. Uh, hopefully things would be a little more stable. We dusted off the hymnals. The uh, kids had not used a catechism in catechism class for years. We got out the catechism. We tried to use some of the uh, services in the hymnal. Uh, people didn't know them. And so we went very, very slowly, starting out with the uh, creative worship resources that uh, CPH puts out. And very, very slowly, very, very intentionally uh, try to get back into the hymnal to teach the congregation the importance of the liturgy, um, close communion, what a, what a pastor does and what the people in the congregation do, just the basics of uh, Scripture, the basics of the faith. And um, the people of God responded. People are moving into Lincoln all the time. There were very, very few congregations that didn't have a big screen, uh, praise band kind of approach to worship. People checked us out, and they stayed. And uh, here we are, 20-some years later. It's been, uh, it's been an amazing ride and a great, great, great blessing from God. Fantastic. That is wonderful. Let's go back to the question of Lutheranism in Lincoln. I'm curious. I'm pretty familiar with the immigrant groups from that came into, like, say, the Dakotas and uh, Minnesota, where we have the Scandinavians and some Germans. And then, of course, to the southeast, we've got Missouri with the, the large uh, group, as most LCMS laymen are very familiar with the story there of the the immigrants that came from Saxony. What's what were the immigrant groups in uh, in Nebraska, and how does that kind of shake out in terms of what you see today in the religious landscape? The uh, the immigrants that came into Nebraska were primarily uh, European, um, mostly German and uh, Slovak or Czech. If you, uh, if you know your Nebraska history, you know Nebraska became a state two years after the end of the Civil War. So when land became available, a lot of people came into Nebraska 
people in uh, those places in Europe uh, had shared a very uh, similar geography, climate, uh, the farming uh, opportunities were, were very, very similar as the railroad was built across Nebraska that brought lots and lots of European settlers here. Lincoln itself has a large German and Slovak population. The uh, Germans and Slovaks that came, uh, the Germans were about 50-50 Lutheran and Roman Catholic. The Slovaks that came were about 90-10 Roman Catholic to Lutheran. Uh, believe it or not, there were some Slovak Lutherans. That's an interesting story, too. And then, interesting, here in Lincoln, there were German immigrants from Russia that populated. Uh, we've got a museum here. Um, the the part of Lincoln, kind of down by uh, the football stadium, Memorial Stadium, uh, is to this day referred to as the Russian Bottoms. And so, Uh, It's kind of a unique and a very, very special history here in Lincoln. And then on top of that, Lincoln was a a community where a large number of Latvians uh, in the 1940s and 1950s, escaping the uh, Soviet Union, came and settled in Lincoln. And so we have a, a pretty significant Latvian population here in Lincoln as well. Okay. Good deal. Let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. If you are out raking leaves or doing other fall chores as you get ready for winter and you don't have anything to listen to if you've already listened through all the episodes of The Lutheran Cartographer, I'd recommend checking out an audiobook from Audible. You can go ahead and sign up for their free trial, which comes with a free audiobook that you get to keep even if you decide not to continue with their service. If you're looking for a book to check out, I'd recommend Luther's Bondage of the Will. He said that this was one of his most important treatises. If you're not in the mood for a theological book, though, you have a plethora of options to choose from from Audible. Get the free trial offer today at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. Let's get back to our guest. Let's transition now and talk about what it's like to raise a family. You've told us about the small town atmosphere, the warmth there. Tell us a little bit more about how that is to raise a family there. Uh, There are opportunities untold and unlimited here in Nebraska for raising a family. There is a uh, very, very large and, um, oh, what's the, what's the right term that I'm looking for? Very, very well-respected public school system here in Lincoln. Um, it has the, it has the same, uh, social moral issues as any public uh, school system. In Lincoln, there is a very, very large parochial school system. The uh, There's a um, Lutheran high school. There's Roman Catholic high school. There's an evangelical high school. There's a Seventh-day Adventist high school. So uh, educationally, the, uh, the community is uh, top, top notch. As far as sports and other activities, for a community this size, again, there are uh, amazing opportunities. Anything from hockey 
to I mean any sport that you can possibly imagine uh, to different uh, academic pursuits. We've got a couple of uh, large homeschool groups that meet in our congregation that uh, do uh, orchestra, choir, all kinds of things like that. So educationally, the opportunities are amazing. The um, city of Lincoln and Lancaster County have worked very, very hard and at great expense, I might add, to uh, have a large library system, parks, trails. So you name it here in Lincoln, as far as the kind of things people generally look for raising a family, we've got it. Now at the church, all of those things can be a blessing, but they also compete with people's time for Sunday school, Bible study, confirmation class, Sunday morning worship, because all of those opportunities exist and many of them are major time drains on the family, and church and worship just becomes one option among many. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Let's talk about uh, something that you mentioned when I was visiting, and that is the the football fever and how that is uh, affects culture there. You mentioned uh, when I was there in Sunday school that. Uh, uh, God has taken our idol away in some ways, uh, uh, <laughs> and they did, and they didn't string me up and and lynch me for that comment. That was a blessing. Well, coming in from the outside, I had no idea what you were talking about until towards the tail end of what you're you were saying. Tell us about um, that. You mentioned the demands on your your time. Mention that that football culture, maybe the sports culture in general, and how that. Uh, is a challenge to daily life, or is it, I should ask? Yeah, it is, it is a challenge to daily life, and people from outside of Nebraska um, really do have a difficult time comprehending the, uh, the nature of Nebraska sports, but more specifically the nature of Nebraska football. It is, it is more than a culture. It is more than a feeling. It is built into everything that you can possibly imagine. In the uh, two major newspapers in Lincoln, the Lincoln Journal Star and the Omaha World Herald, there is something in the sports section with regard to Nebraska football 365 days a year. It is constant. The uh, talk about whether it's the current team or the recruiting team or the history of Nebraska football, this, uh, this has been a big thing in the state of Nebraska forever, but it really changed in the early 1960s when Nebraska was able to uh, secure a coach from the University of Wyoming by the name of Bob Devaney, and he united the state around Nebraska football, ended up winning uh, national championships in 1970 and 1971. He was considered as a god uh, in the state of Nebraska. When I, I was little growing up during these national championship years, and my brother used to joke about me that most Lutherans pray to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but my little brother prays to Father, Son, and Bob Devaney. That is how intense the religious fervor that is attached to Nebraska football. 
Nebraska football controls the way people dress, the way people think, the radio stations that they listen to, how they adjust their work schedule, their vacation schedule, their wedding schedule, even their funeral planning. It permeates everything. As a pastor, you can't do anything without knowing when the Nebraska spring game is. You can't do anything without knowing the dates and the times for the kickoffs of both home and away games. It is absolutely everywhere and in everything. And this goes back because when Nebraska played Notre Dame, that used to be a huge rivalry back in the 1920s. Notre Dame played in Lincoln, and uh, the four horsemen, Newt Rockney, Nebraska won the game. And there were anti-Roman Catholic riots in Lincoln. They almost derailed the uh, train cars as the Notre Dame team left the city. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And uh, uh, Newt Rockney on the way back said, we will never play Nebraska again. He got back to South Bend, got on the uh, phone or telegraph or whatever he did back then. And that's when the Nebraska, when the Notre Dame, uh, uh, University of Southern California rivalry began. USC replaced Nebraska on Notre Dame's schedule. This oh, is wow. longstanding, and it is it is dripping in everything. And if you're from outside of Nebraska, you cannot understand it. Once you get here, you either fall in love with it or you absolutely are sick to your stomach with regard to it. And uh, the people that can't handle it, they generally move. <laughs> oh, wow. I had I had no idea that, uh, and I shouldn't laugh about the train being derailed, but <laughs> that is, wow, just the, the fervor. Yeah, it's an amazing story. I, Google it. I didn't make it up. It's uh, it. All right. Uh, that, that helps, uh, that helps me understand it a little better. Let's talk now about something that's been on a lot of people's minds lately. We've already, you've already kind of mentioned it, uh, the, the unrest. A lot of people are looking to move out of the, their more populous, maybe coastal areas and get to something a little more rural. And clearly, as we've talked about, Lincoln is a city, but it is definitely not Minneapolis or Seattle or San Francisco. What would your thoughts be for listeners that are thinking about making a move to a more rural location, both your general advice and your pastoral advice? Well, Nebraska is a wonderful state. It's a wonderful place. It offers uh, uh, a warm welcoming atmosphere and uh, that's that's true any place in the state uh it is especially true in the uh, smaller communities in the state and lincoln still has that now i don't know i don't know the future i don't know how long but i would suspect that because the vast majority of the people here in lincoln have come from those small town places I don't know if I should say this on your podcast, but most of the people I know don't lock their car when they go to church, go to the grocery store, uh, go downtown. Um, Most of the people I know don't lock their house at night. Um, This this is kind of like a throwback maybe to the way things were in the 1940s and 1950s. But uh, a lot of people that 
you know, have lived in Lincoln for a long time, maybe find themselves moving uh, just outside the city limits. They're, they're just amazing, wonderful housing developments that are being built all the way around the city of Lincoln. Lincoln is growing. The economy is very, very strong. And so, uh, you know, I think the vast majority of people would say Lincoln is a friendly, safe, welcoming place and a great place to live, great place to raise your family. Taxes are a little high, but um, the the benefits that you get are um, are well worth it. All right. Good deal. <laughs> Let me ask a somewhat strange question at this time. When I was in Lincoln and I went into the state capitol, it was a, a very bizarre experience just in terms of uh, the the capitol is laid out very much like you might say a cathedral or a temple, very much kind of in the vein of a typical twentieth early 20th century kind of progressive idea of the government is bringing light and life and happiness and uh, very, you know, the the kind of idea that government will help us progress and reach perfection. Now, obviously, a state capital doesn't necessarily reflect the ideas of the general populace. How much of that sort of early 20th prog- century progressivism has seeped into the groundwater and does that at all reflect the the thoughts and the attitudes of the people around, or is that just kind of a an anomaly? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that you uh, describe the state capital that way. I think there is a certain aura and respect. Pretty much every grade school throughout the state of Nebraska plans a field trip around coming to Lincoln, visiting the state capitol, visiting the state penitentiary, uh, you know, seeing the sights, the biggies here in, uh, here in Lincoln. And there is a, an aura and a respect that is kind of built in and uh, certainly is displayed in the architecture with regard to, uh, to the, the cathedral-like atmosphere. It was, uh, it was built during the uh, Great Depression, and it was uh, built at great cost and great sacrifice to the uh, to the state of Nebraska and uh, the citizens here. And so there's a great pride there. But while there may have been some of that uh, more progressive, uh, you know, government is our savior kind of a thing in the in the leadership of that day, uh, that is uh, that is not the common thought of the vast majority of the of the people of Nebraska. Now, don't get me wrong, there is great pride in the fact that Nebraska has a unicameral. We do not have a separate House and Senate in our state. We are united. We are not divided. We have 93 counties. We have the uh, 40, I believe it's 47 or 49 state legislature uh, uh, state senators that come and uh, they can duke it out there and represent the people. But it is uh, it is a uniting thing, uh, much like Nebraska football. It's a uniting thing 
rather than a dividing thing with regard to uh, politics. Probably the biggest thing with regard to state government is you have Lincoln and Nebraska, or Lincoln and Omaha, where the, the vast majority of the people live. Um, Lincoln's about 250,000. I believe Omaha is about 650,000. And you've got just under 2 million in the whole state. So if that gives you a little bit of a picture. Um, there is a big city, Lincoln, Omaha, versus outstate, which is anybody besides Lincoln and Omaha, kind of kind of a natural built-in division in the state. And you feel that tension in the state legislature. But again, to have rural and city united in their decisions, taxation, and government, uh, Nebraskans find great pride in that. All right. Good deal. So now let's switch to one of my favorite parts of the podcast, and that is asking you, what are some of the things, the activities, places to eat that you would highlight? If you had a friend coming into town, what would you say? Ah, you got to go check this out. Well, Lincoln has uh, developed its downtown uh, quite a bit. I, I don't like to go downtown. I don't like to fight for parking. I don't like all the people. I kind of like to stay in my little cocoon. But to to tell people that are new to Lincoln, they need to go down to the Haymarket. And uh, once they find parking, and it's not near as challenging as I maybe made it sound there. But once you find parking, there are uh, an amazing array of shops and restaurants, places to buy uh, things that are only made in Nebraska. Uh, again, the state has great pride in that respect. There are several places in Lincoln that brew their own beer. And so there is a uh, large and growing uh, appreciation for that. I like to smoke an occasional cigar. There are several cigar places, cigar bars, where you can go and enjoy that kind of fellowship as well. The uh, thing that has probably changed the most in the time that I've been in Lincoln, uh, Lincoln is considered quite a sushi place. The, uh, the sushi opportunities are all over the city of Lincoln, and for people who uh, appreciate uh, that kind of dining, um, they are uh, they're in hog heaven, as we would say here in Nebraska. You name it, we have it here in Lincoln. If you want Indian food, if you want Cambodian food, if you want Cuban food, uh, it's here. The varieties are endless. Excellent. Any activities or museums that you'd recommend? Morrill Hall is uh, famous throughout the Midwest. It is the, um, the place where if you want to go and see the skeletons of the um, mastodons or the uh, woolly mammoths or whatever that uh, wandered around in the, uh, in the Midwest, uh, they have put those together. And it, it is an amazing exhibit. I remember when I was in the seventh grade and we made our uh, parochial school field trip to Lincoln, the, uh, the thing that was staggering to my mind was to, to see those skeletons, to see them up close and personal. And uh, Morrill Hall, it's, uh, I, I believe it is uh, 
the Nebraska State Historical Museum connected to the University of Nebraska. I'm not 100% sure on what the connection is, but Morrill Hall is famous, and uh, you would not want to miss it as far as the uh, museums and stuff are concerned. Most people coming to Nebraska, uh, they want a tour of Memorial Stadium. Uh, That is the museum that everybody is looking forward to. They want to walk on the turf. They want to see the national championship trophies. They want to see the bronze busts and pictures of the Heisman Trophy winners. So in Nebraska, that museum, Memorial Stadium, uh, towers, dwarfs, and shadows anything else in the city. I see. All right. So now as we start to close out the podcast, I want to make sure to give you the opportunity to send our listeners where you would like, your church's website, places to follow you online. Where would you like to send our listeners? Uh, About uh, three years ago now, uh, Good Shepherd had the opportunity to uh, acquire a low-power FM radio station license. We uh, started our own radio station here at Good Shepherd. We built a tower on our property. It is KNNALP 95.7 The Cross here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, it's a low-power FM station, so it goes out about 10 to 15 miles from our church. But we've got a website, and uh, we are a distinctively confessional Lutheran radio station. And I would just encourage people to check it out. We're about 80% uh, Lutheran programming and about 20% community programming. www.thecross957.org. Our uh, church website is goodshepherdlincoln.org. And we um, broadcast our services 8 and 10.30 on Sunday morning, live on the internet and on the radio. We have a Wednesday evening service, 6.30 uh, year-round. That is also broadcast. And if you um, are into the podcast thing, uh, as many people are today, we have uh, lots and lots of self-generated Lutheran programs that we do here at the church and especially through our radio station. If you check out KNNA Theological Programming, there will be more podcast sermons than you can possibly shake a stick at. Check them out. Um, love your feedback. And on our radio station, uh, by the way, the uh, uh, Lutheran cartographer is uh, played on a regular basis. So uh, we're, we're very familiar with this program. And uh, again, it's a great honor for us to be able to participate. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Pastor Poppy. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? It is a great time to be a Lutheran. The uh, The world seemingly is in chaos uh, economically, scientifically, politically, um, when there seems to be no sense of anything in the world or in our communities, in our families, in our persons. We need that rock that anchor, that solid foundation, and that is Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins earned by Jesus, perfect life, bloody death, and glorious resurrection is the thing, the good news that will unite all people. 
people of different economic backgrounds, people of different skin colors. It will unite us as one. And as the world seemingly is falling apart around us, that will be the anchor, the uh, solid foundation that we need to get us through. And when we pray uh, the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, we're asking the Lord to get us out of here and to uh, take us to be with him forever. And what a, what a great way to be in a safe haven, Christ Church with fellow brother and sisters in Christ, not only in your local community, but uh, unseen throughout the entire world, angels, archangels, and all the host of heaven. We are in great company, and uh, it's just a great time to be a Lutheran, and I hope and pray that people long to hear God's word in its truth and purity. What a great blessing he has given to us. Amen. Thank you again. God's peace. Uh, and God's blessings to you. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about today, check out the show notes page at lutherancartographer.com slash 43. I encourage you to take advantage of that Audible offer. You get a free trial of their service and an audiobook that you get to keep. That's at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. If you're not already, subscribe to the show on iTunes or on Stitcher or now on Amazon so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, I would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review so that more people will see the podcast. Until next time, I'm Nicholas Weber. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.